What is up, everybody? It's the Orange and Black Insider coming at you at a special time Thursday afternoon. John and I's schedules were pretty wacky this week, so for those who love the live show, I apologize, but we're getting you your Bengals fix on this show. I'm going to apologize to you, partner, in advance because um, I've got still a child not taking a nap yet, and I've got some people doing some uh, some remodel work in my house right now, so there might be some hammers, there might be some drills, there might be some babies crying, I don't know. We'll, we'll do it, but we're still going to talk some Bengals, my man. This is going to be an exciting show. You don't need to apologize for that. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to all that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, uh, exciting, exciting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But, hey, the NFL draft is in the books. It was a busy weekend. We did a lot on Cincy Jungle. We did a lot on this show and throughout the podcast channel. I know, John, you did a lot over at A to Z Sports as well. So go check out all of the fine work they did there, breaking down things. And we are still going to be talking about the draft because – Hey, it's not a full week yet uh, since it occurred. And either see, there's the there's the hammering right now. If you can hear it, um, the, so there, you know, it's, it hasn't even been a full week yet. But you know, hey, the, the Bengals, I think, did some moves that uh, were were pretty significant and showed a lot of different things, both long term planning and maybe some good short term contributions as well. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But there's been some news, John, that has hit Bengals. I don't know, Bengals Nation, whatever you want to call it, uh, over the past couple of days. And it pertains to two very important positions on a roster. Now, the first, and it kind of ties into the draft talk a little bit, is about Jonah Williams. Because Jonah Williams was a guy that we thought could have or should have been dealt at some point over the over that weekend. And, you know, we didn't really know exactly what the vibe was between those two teams. The last thing we heard was from his agent putting it out there saying, hey, he wants to be traded because of the Orlando Brown edition. So, um, you know, now it, it seems as if the tune has changed. He didn't get dealt over draft weekend. They fielded offers. So, and I'll pull up an article to link here as well. But, um, you know, it didn't, it, nothing materialized for, for Jonah Williams and the Bengals. Yeah. And I don't know if they really expected anything to materialize necessarily because I think, and, and there was, there is another report that we'll get to about Jonah and about like the situation, the relationship between the two teams. But their stance, I think, has always been, Look, he's here. He's under contract. He's one of our best options to play in important positions. So we're not really in the business of dealing him away unless we get an offer that's too good to pass down. Now, after the conclusion of the first round, there was a report from Pro Football Network's Tony Pauline saying that the Bengals have had discussions with several teams about a potential Jonah Williams trade. Now, this was after the first round concluded, so this would just be day two picks being involved, or maybe even a day three pick as well. And even then, that was probably going to be the peak, the pinnacle of Jonah's market, if you will. And if that was going to be the case, then you would think that the Bengals would probably draft a replacement or at least draft some tackle to replace Jonah on the roster in some capacity, even if maybe that tackle wouldn't be as good as Jonah can be at right tackle this year, just from a 2023 perspective. And that's that's another thing, Anthony, right? Like this is, they'll still view this as like, this is their prime window to win. And they probably view Jonah as being part of, of their best chance of actually winning, putting mm-hmm. together the best possible offensive line. So they were never going into this thinking, we have to trade Jonah. We just have to get this guy off the books. We just have to appease this guy who clearly didn't take the situation of Orlando Brown signing very well. And it just never happened because I don't think they ever got anything close to an offer that made them move off of their initial stance. Yeah. And by the way, just total se- a non sequitur here, but Mark, now, this would be the show. A- this would be a yeah, show. That- that would be that would be the show as long as you don't have babies with hammers. Yeah, no, the baby does not have hammers. I I, I promise. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm a I'm a decent enough dad to know that that's not going to work. But uh, look, I mean, here's here's a couple of I, you know I don't know if this 
you know, this is kind of just me spitballing a little bit here. I don't know if you see this headline here that we're sharing, very positive Jonah Williams update, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I don't know if that positive update stems from, hey, you know, the, the offers the Bengals got really weren't showing a high level of interest or maybe from teams that, you know, he was going to start on or what, whatever the case may be. Um, and so there was a little bit of a reality check, but with it also, John, we know this, I know, you know, Katie Blackburn and Elizabeth Blackburn are really in, in kind of the, the driver's seat with a lot of operations with the Cincinnati Bengals. And there's been a lot of positive movement with that, but Mike Brown is still in the picture. And when you, have an ultimatum when you give Mike Brown the owner of the team as a player an ultimatum that rarely ends well and and as you said that it needs to be an offer that blows your hair back if you're the franchise it's what happened with Carson Palmer they were not going to deal Carson Palmer and then they got you know the blockbuster deal from uh from Hugh Jackson and the Raiders there so you know it's like it, it just it, it in a way it was surprising because it's like well the guy apparently doesn't want to be here and here's the draft. Maybe you can get something to, you know, maybe a, a developmental player to replace him, what have you. And it never materialized. The other telling thing with this, John, is, you know, they did not go with, you know, offensive lineman, offensive tackle in this draft. It was very defensive heavy. Um, and then, you know, a couple of skill position guys as well, a couple of special teamers. So, I mean, that that in itself was probably pretty telling that saying, hey, you know, we've we've got – a guy and guys plural on the roster for that right tackle spot. Yeah. And you can almost kind of predict which positions that they're going to target in the draft based off of how many players they just have on the roster entering the draft. Pretty typically the Bengals enter rookie meeting camps with about 15 to 16 offensive linemen on the roster. And they're at 16 right now. The only addition would be the undrafted free agent in Jackson uh, Kirkland, I believe is his name from Washington, right? So they had 15 veterans already on the team before the draft started. So I think that was a pretty telling sign that they weren't going to be targeting a lot or just maybe offensive linemen in general. There was a report from our friend Good Joe Goodberry that Anton, Anton Harrison was definitely in the conversation for the 20th overall pick, and he was picked right ahead of Miles Murphy, who ended up being the pick. So I think they still valued some of the top offensive tackles, but it wasn't like an emphasis like we need to get some body here to compete with who we already, who we already have because in their mind the, the guys that they have to compete at that spot including Jonah Williams is enough to churn out some type of a decent starter right tackle for week one whether that is Jonah Williams or that's Jackson Carmen whether that's this Herculean recovery effort from Leo Collins I don't know but we've seen this time and time again the Bengals have more confidence in their internal options particularly at the offensive line than maybe the public does and that's kind of that was kind of reflective in the draft I guess I think you're muted, man. Here's the I said absolutely, and um, again, I'm, I'm muting here just to <laughs> just to not give everybody the symphony of power tools and everything else. But here's the here's the quote here from uh, Albert Breer, and it says there was a question about shopping Williams. They're not, and if they weren't going to do it before the draft, my feeling is they won't do it at all. To me, there are teams like, say, New England, a guy that Breer covers pretty closely specifically that could really use him. But you're talking about giving Cincinnati a second round pick for Williams. It doesn't make sense for the Bengals to move him because if he plays well for them in the fall, they'll get a year of service at the trouble spot. And here's the kicker right here. The old comp picks, you know, you could potentially get a third or fourth round compensatory pick down the road for him. Now, 
A number of factors played into Williams' trade request with the position switch, we knew that, being one in the lack of communication from the team on that switch before signing Brown to a big free agent deal. Here's the thing, lack of communication, always an issue with all kinds of things, whether it's personal business, whatever. The problem is, I mean, I understand where he would be upset about that, but I think that this Brown thing came to a head so quickly um, and they were able to strike while the lightning was hot there and scoop him up unexpectedly that they didn't go have time really to go and say, Hey, this is what we're doing. I mean, we, we just got to get this guy and scoop him off the market. Cause we didn't think he was, he would be here. Good excuse. Maybe, maybe not, but that, I, that's my assumption with it. And then for what it says, for what it's worth, I do think Williams is in a little better place with the team now than he was a month ago. And I think the Bengals would get a good year out of him assuming no one comes in and throws big capital at Cincinnati, which could happen if there's an injury with another team. So we could look at things in training camp and in the summer, John, but um, it sounds like, you know, tempers have cooled. Uh, Maybe the team has kind of talked it out with his camp and he's, he's a little better for it. And maybe he's now just kind of changing his mindset and saying, I'm just going to seize this run with this opportunity, seize it. And, you know, it may not lead to him being back in Cincinnati next year, but if he plays well, he could still parlay himself into a top free agent, player uh, on the open market next year and and here's here's kind of my issue with this this whole thing because unfortunately there's been a movement of fan support against Jonah Williams for this trade request especially because you know I think Jackson Carmen's playoff run was a little bit overhyped maybe by maybe us maybe but just by the general Bengal public whatever and it's almost kind of made Williams expendable but we only are privy to the knowledge that gets reported like these things like these relationships between players and teams and trade requests, they happen more often than than we probably know about. And there's so many right. more layers to it than just, oh, I hate this team. I hate this ownership. I want to get out of here. Like that's not what the situation was, but that's what the perception is with at least some part of the fan base. It's way more nuanced and complicated than that. And considering how this entire thing has played out, I think both sides have acted pretty rationally considering the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And ultimately the end result is, pretty much what the expectation was. Williams was obviously heard that he was essentially replaced at the position that he always wanted to play, that he has played with, that he has played at over the past six years, including Alabama. But at the end of the day, the Bengals still view him as a star, just at another position that happens to be almost equally important in the grand scheme of things from an offensive line standpoint. Now, that may impact how much he gets in the open market next year because he's playing a slightly less valuable position in terms of how much that position gets paid. But the Bengals, it's not like the Bengals just dumped him and don't view him as a starter, don't view him as worth anything. They still clearly obviously do, and I think he came to realize that over the past several weeks when things eventually calmed down and he realized, okay, this is just what the situation was. I ended up being some pretty much in the bad part of it, but it's not like I'm losing my job or my like roster spot completely. I still have a chance to make the best out of this. Yeah. And kudos to him, if, if, you know, with the mind shift, right? I mean, it's like, you know, if, if that's where his, where his headspace is gone, um, you know, it's understandable that, you know, the, the, maybe the anger or hurt feelings at the beginning, but, you know, kudos to him if he's, um, you know, to change his mindset and kind of embracing the opportunity. Wait, I'm seeing a couple things about men of culture. Do you, wait, what, what is it? Are we men of culture? I, I don't understand this. You do are. You, do, I mean, I don't really know about uh, me, but I, I, I don't know. I don't think I am, but I mean, it's whatever. I, and a couple people are talking about men of culture, but um, if you want to let us know what you mean by that, I am all for it. Well, transitioning one of the positions again, that the Bengals did not address in the draft after kind of flirting with a couple of players in the pre-draft process was backup quarterback so they went to a guy that they met with shortly before the draft and Trevor Simeon a guy who has ties to Brian Callahan back in Denver a guy who 
elicits nightmares still from a 2016 game against the Bengals uh, at their home opener that year and absolutely torched him. But a guy also, I think, system-wise and a lot of different reasons makes a lot of sense as a backup. And then, of course, Brandon Allen, the longtime backup to Joe Burrow, is now going to the 49ers. So the Bengals decided they weren't going to, what if, if you want to call it, quote-unquote, reach for a backup quarterback on day three or anything like that. They decided to not go that route. And they bring in Simeon, and he is going to compete with Jake Browning for the backup quarterback spot in Cincinnati. And if anyone's wondering about the timeline of these events, it's because, one, I believe it was Tuesday that became the first day that teams can sign players without having to affect next year's compensatory pick process, even if I'm assuming a one-year deal for either Trevor Simeon or Brandon Allen wasn't really going to impact whether or not the Bengals get, I believe, a fifth or a sixth round compensatory pick. But that's why you saw kind of a flurry of veteran signings uh, in, in the last couple of days. And also, I don't, I don't think... Like Simeon signing right after Allen indicates that, oh, the Bengals are waiting to hear about Brandon Allen. They still reached out to Trevor Simeon, like Anthony mentioned, a, a month before the draft. And they had they had him brought in for a visit, I believe it was early April, because there was already some type of relationship there. Trevor Simeon was drafted by the Broncos in 2015. That was the last year that Brian Callahan was the quarterback's coach for the Broncos, a year before he left to take the same job for the Detroit Lions. And that year in 2016 is when Simeon started to actually play. And like you mentioned, he had the game of his life against the Bengals. I'm sure they still kind of remember that maybe a little bit, some parts of ownership. And ever since then, like, I mean, he started for two years with Denver. Ever since then, he's just been a career backup. He's been in multiple spots, most recently the Chicago Bears. I, I think you're looking at someone similar to Brandon Allen, but probably someone, even if he's the same age with a little bit more mobility, maybe a little bit quicker of a, of a release. But in terms of arm talent, about the same and maybe just obviously a lot more starting experience, even though that came five or six years past. So you're probably looking at the same type of money, same type of investment, but maybe a guy who's more experienced, maybe who can fit more in terms of rolling out the pocket and having a similar sense of mobility like a Joe Burrow does. Yeah, the least important player on your roster until he becomes the most important player on your roster, right? So, uh, you know, it's good. It's always good to have a capable backup and an option. I know the Bengals do like Browning and what he has shown, you know, especially last year. So a guy that, you know, they're, they're going to bring in and Simeon that uh, they feel – I mean, right now you would probably think that he has the inside track being a veteran and just, you know, being a guy that the familiarity, everything we've talked about, you would think that he has the inside track on everything. But, you know, we'll we'll have to see how it all plays out. Obviously, a lot of things to uh, to play out throughout the summer. So Simeon, a bangle, Jonah Williams, a bangle. Now, John Sheeran, I, I know we talked where let's pivot a little bit to the NFL draft. I know that. We, myself, Jason Garrison, and Kevin Brown, we, we spoke quite a bit after the picks, did a lot of even live reactions and things of that nature. So hopefully kudos you to that. you for all that coverage, man. That was that was a great oh, job, and this channel was just on fire for that. So great job, guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I, I feel a little bit bad about my lackluster reaction to the Miles Murphy pick at, at, when it <laughs> originally happened. But, you know, I, I even said on the air, you know, after sleeping on it a day and all of that, I was like, wow, that pick just, it, it does make a lot of sense. Um, look, I mean, I, I know we can dissect all the players and, and go forward and talk about a lot of different things. But to me, what, what this draft encapsulates, it, there were a, a lot of, you know, most of the eight picks, I would say five or six players were the big testers. Um, yeah, so, you know, oftentimes a lot of production as well, but big testers, um, high athletic profiles, RAS scores and the like. And then there were a couple of guys that were lower on the RAS scores, athleticism scale, but were big tape guys and i'm looking mostly at their third and fourth round picks um that, that, that kind of point to that so um 
I saw a lot of, uh, I see a lot of potential in this class. I see a lot of logic in this class and I look at it and I go, okay, well, you know, Lou Anarumo lost Von Bell and Jesse Bates. And it looks like he is doing whatever it takes to recreate what those two brought to the defense in, in both last year's pick Dax Hill, but also this year's, um, this year's picks as well. Yeah. That was by far the biggest surprise like drafting the safety in the third round and not taking maybe like a tight end at all. And I think a lot of people pegged that third round pick to be maybe where the tight end pick actually happens considering the, you know, the value of the position and maybe the value of the class in general, but that's not really how it went. And I don't think the Bengals devalue tight end necessarily. It's just, there was a specific tight end who was available, available to them that they thought brought the most value compared to everyone else on the board. And that came to play again in the third round. Like, the whole Jordan battle thing is fascinating because he was in consideration at pick 60 just because they graded him that highly and they were that impressed with him in the entire pre-draft process. And the more you learn about him, the more it makes sense why he was so highly regarded in the coaching staff and the, in the, in the personnel um, in, in their eyes. So the fact that he was still there, even after trading down, I think three spots, like they traded down just because they could, they wanted that extra pick to get a punter, but just to see if he's still here after 95 picks then we have to take him even if there's not a clear path to get him on the field immediately like that's a third safety for now and a potential starter if not two years down the road maybe one year down the road considering what Nick Scott does so yeah their safety room is completely reloaded it's I'm not going to say it's the same level of talent just because Jesse Bates was that good and Von Bell was really solid but Jordan Battle fits a lot in terms of what Von Bell brought to the defense and if Dax Hill yep. is who you think he is as a first round prospect then that high upside, you know, rangy safety still there with Hill. But even still, like Jesse Bates was pretty clearly a free safety. Von Bell is clearly a box safety. You have three guys now that you can interchange roles constantly throughout the game. It gives you so many more options. It gives you so much more schematic versatility if you're Lou Anarumo. As long as you trust the mental aptitude of Dax Hill after spending a year kind of learning the system and Jordan Battle, who has three years of starting experience, I think three and a half pretty much at Alabama. He's got more starting experience, college and professional combined, more than Nick Scott and Dax Hill. That may impact if he gets on the field pretty quickly. So that whole position group was a surprise, but when you really start to add everything up, it becomes surprising. There's, you know, you talk about positional or, or, or schematic versatility, flexibility, that sort of thing. And I think that is key, especially, like I said, when you lose Bates and Bell, but also you have opted not to re-sign Trey Flowers, who's kind of been this swingish type of player as well. And so now when you have, when you bring in, what, three defensive backs in this year's class alone, um, you've got a lot of guys that can come in and, and do a, a lot of different things on that defense and bring, for the most part, a lot of a lot of athleticism, but also a lot of heady play. Battle didn't test as well as you know some of the, like a Tyson Anderson or another safety that the Bengals have drafted, but he his tape, his instincts, and his uh, play recognition skills uh, I, I think really impressed Lou Anarumo and Zach Taylor, and I think that's a guy that Lou Anarumo just even if the scores and the athleticism and the the testing didn't show it, um, that's just a guy that I think Lou Anarumo is like that. You know, that's my guy. That's a guy I really like. It's kind of a it's a coach's player, right? Um, and so I, I I could see the logic but between those picks, even though it was a lot of you know, it was a bit shocking. I think there was he was talking about he was doing presser for the DJ Turner pick, who I want to talk about here in a minute as well. Mm -hmm. And at, as that presser ended, like it was probably like pick sixty seven on the clock or something like that as the as the draft kept rolling around and the last thing he said was i'll see you guys soon 
So he knew that they were targeting battle with that third round pick. And they, he had a feeling that he was still going to be there because the NFL, I guess, didn't value the fact that he wasn't a high end athlete. And maybe that's something to, to watch for with safeties in general, just because it's also kind of a weird position for the NFL to value, like wh- whether or not to draft it high or draft it low. I think a lot of safeties in this class, just because it wasn't that strong of a class, ended up falling a little bit further than, than they expected. And then Battle is just, he's just part of that. Like, if he was a high end athlete, I don't think he would have escaped the top 50 picks, but I don't think that athleticism necessarily hurts him. And I think in this scheme and under this coordinator, and Luna Ruma, who just gets the most out of his defensive backs, you could probably expect him to be a solid player. So I I kind of said that um, my one of my personal favorite picks was Yoshivas. The and, and I, I'm I'm hoping I'm saying it right. I got I caught a lot of hell last week about not. I've saying heard it multiple. Right, I've heard it's like y- 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 Yoshivas. Yeah, something yeah. Like that. We'll get it, we'll yeah. get it right. Yeah, well, we I I got to look at his Twitter account because I know he's got it phonetically spelled out there. So we'll 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 show you that. But he was one of just because I feel like there was a lot of value to that pick. And hey, let's just bring speed, good play, athleticism to an offense, and let's have some foresight. And you know, if he's kind of you know, some people are saying you know he's got a Chris Henry esque profile. Let's pump the brakes there a little bit. Um, but. You know, I think I, I I think there is a lot of athleticism, a lot of speed there as obviously the track background. So that was one of my favorite picks just from a value standpoint and quite honestly fun. It's a skill position, right? So um I, I liked a lot of the picks that they made here. What are some of your because I haven't I haven't even asked you this yet. what are what was your favorite pick? What who are your favorite picks in this year's class? I do not think there's really, you know, any any real stinkers in this one. I, I really like what they did from top to bottom. No, no sneakers. And I think that like this class is like this class is a mock draft class. What I mean by that is it's some <laughs> it's it's something that you could have seen someone like make a mock draft for because in mock drafts you never reach, right? You you always try to find value. You always see like, oh, who's at the top of the simulation? You try to go by needs. And this pretty much matches up with it. Like I think most Bengals mock drafts would have a tight end instead of a safety or maybe two wide receivers, but they pretty much stuck to the consensus board and their evaluations, they've been spot on for the most part for the past four years, but they've also pretty much been in line with what the consensus is. And when they've deviated from the consensus, that's ultimately where you've seen where you've seen them miss a couple of times. Like Michael Jordan, for example, uh, Renell Wren, uh, you, you, you had um, uh, his name is escaping me at the moment. Uh, Tyler Shelvin, like, you know, like mm-hmm. picks like that where it's a little bit off the wall, like they haven't worked. But when their evaluations in terms of like their character and obviously their tape and when they're high in athletes, when they match up with the consensus, they typically do pretty well. And I think they did that again this year. They, the thing about Yosef is, is like, obviously you want to take a risk on a high end athlete like that, especially that late and probably just one of the two guys in this class who's probably not, who's not going to make an impact this year. The other six guys I think are all going to impact the team in a significant way this year. And that, that was maybe not the sentiment after they took miles Murphy with the first, with the first pick, but a third or fourth edge rusher, when you're playing 20 games in the season, that's definitely going to matter. Like the whole thing about him is that he's going to keep Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard fresh throughout the season. And hopefully he can make an impact as a situational pass rusher, even if that's where he's going to be at his strongest point, because he's more of a run defender right now than a refined and nuanced pass rusher. DJ Turner is the same way, man. You're going to have to rely on DJ Turner at some point in the season, just because 
attrition just happens so much at yep. cornerback and it's attrition. specifically yep. with the Bengals like they've had to rely on Eli Apple for the better part of two years now when they haven't really expected to so DJ Turner is probably going to play significant snaps I, I could honestly see Jordan Battle just getting onto the field for a few hundred snaps this year just because they like him that much maybe you don't know what you have in Nick Scott Axel at safety Charlie Jones is probably your wide receiver for it, and he's absolutely probably going to beat out Trent Taylor as the main pump returner. Chase Brown is, is your Samashi Piran replacement at minimum. Maybe he can out-snap Joe Mixon by the end of the season. And a punter's a punter. He's probably better than True Chris right now, so that pick is good, too. I think my two favorite picks, though, were Chase Brown and DJ Turner. I think they were A picks, in my opinion. I think you got great value with both of them. They fit needs, yep. and I Agreed. think they probably have the highest upside out of... I mean, I, I think they have the best combination of upside and chance to reach upside like Yosevis obviously has the upside of like a Greek god right but you'll know if he's going to do that just because there's development in the way I think Chase Brown and DJ Turner are pretty much ready to play right now despite some of the minor weaknesses that they have and they have pretty decent upside considering what they did in college support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They do, and I mean, I, I, so I, I want to get your take on this too because we've we talked about this, and um, uh, you know, I, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts. We we talked about we just talked about Jonah, so him not being dealt, the Bengals not going offensive tackle in this draft. That is a pretty telltale sign that he's going to be in the mix in some form or fashion going forward. You mentioned Chase Brown. Now, while he's a guy who could contribute right away and come in and be the the one B back or two A back or whatever, um, you know, and he should. That also the waiting to draft a running back until the fifth round at least shows short term reliance, short term trust in Joe Mixon and him being in this backfield going forward. They re-sign Travion Williams. They wait to the fifth round and draft Chase Brown, a guy who can contribute as a rookie. But it seems, despite all the talk, some of the off-field stuff that is still ongoing with Joe Mixon, it seems as if he's he's in their at least short-term plans at running back. 
Yeah, I think he'll stay for the season. Whether or not they offer him and he accepts the pay cut is to be determined, I guess. That that may be followed by some extensions that they have just in, just so they can more comfortably fit under the cap. But even if even if that's not the case, I I think this was a good step forward for them from an organizational and philosophical standpoint. Like they got a really good running back in the fifth round, which is honestly, it matches up probably when you should take a running back nowadays. Like they were so accustomed to, to spending premium positions or premium picks, excuse me, on running backs when they've desperately needed one. And we kind of build them as a team to take a day two running back in this class, just because that's just what they've done in the past. Giovanni Bernard, Joe Mixon, Jeremy Hill, like in the past 10 years, these clear cut examples of over almost over investing in the position just because you need it. And this was a good running back class, and they had options in on you know rounds three and four, or whatever, and they waited until round five, and they got really good value in a, in a back that should be useful for the better part of a four-year contract he's about to play on. So I, I think this was a good step forward because they're going to rely on him a lot this year, and he's a fifth-round pick, and that's probably how you should just do it going forward. Okay, so, uh, and we're going to play a little game in just a minute, just kind of, uh, you know, we're talking, we're going over some topics that we didn't get to address with John over the weekend, and so I'm not going to keep repeating myself too much. I want to hear his takes on some of these, but some of the others, we're going to have some kind of fun, maybe a little little potential sur- superlative game, that sort of thing. We'll do that in a few minutes, but your biggest surprise, John, in terms of who the Bengals, what position the Bengals did not pick, did not address We've talked about a few of them, offensive tackle, running back within the first four rounds, um, backup quarterback. I mean, there's a, there's a tight end, of course. What was your biggest surprise that um, that you feel that the Bengals did not yield in this year's draft class? It's definitely tight end. And I think in real time, it was more surprising than in hindsight, just because it wasn't like they didn't like any of the tight ends in this class. I think they, they didn't like Michael Mayer as much as the public uh, – perceived and that may have been like maybe the biggest smoke screen I, I could remember in in my in recent memory about covered angles in the draft just because it seemed like they really liked Michael Mayer and he wasn't even I think one of their top two tight ends in this class I think it was actually Dalton Kincaid and Sam Laporta but they Laporta. liked Sam yep. they liked Laporta a lot like he probably would have been the pick if he was there at 60 they liked Josh Wiley too if he if Charlie Jones wasn't there in round four Wiley was probably going to be the pick I believe Wiley was there in, in the fourth round and then Wiley ended up going to the Tennessee Titans. So they liked some of these early round tight ends. It just never really aligned with what the board was looking like at that point. Like, I don't, I, I never thought they liked Darnell Washington that much. And he ended up falling to the third round, I think because of medicals. And then they ended up going to the Steelers, which makes sense. A lot of sense for what they like to do with tight ends, but co- compounding with that lack of interest on top of a medical, it definitely made sense why they passed on Darnell Washington that many times, but still you would have thought that they would have taken a tight end at least at some point, just because Irv Smith gets hurt. Like you're back to, square zero at that point with Drew Sample and Devin Asiasi. So I would definitely expect them to address the tight end more than just signing, I believe, a, a non-drake free agent with a 40-yard dash that pretty much mirrors what, like, Dewan Jones ran. So it's, it's not great. It's not it's not enough behind a tight end who has gotten hurt for the past two years. So I would expect some type of a waiver wire pickup at tight end because I just really expected them to at least draft one. Yeah, and I, Zach, I think, made a comment. Uh, I forget who it was to, but in one of the press conferences or one of the interviews recently, he just said, you know, we really like two of them, talking about the tight ends. We really like two of them. And he mentioned, he said, you know, the, the one who went in the first round, Dalton Kincaid. I tend to think that if Dalton Kincaid was around, that might have been their guy. That's just my opinion because probably I'm I'm, I'm too close to Dalton Kincaid. I, I got I to gotta take a step back. I liked him. I liked him a lot. But he also mentioned, you know, 
one who went at the beginning of the second round in Laporta, and he said to the Lions. So not yeah. Mayer is who who he referenced. Those were the two guys that he specifically referenced. So those were those were two guys I think would definitely be heavily in the mix um, at, at either one of those picks there. Should you know first round, second round if they were available to them. But uh, yeah, that, I mean that has to be my biggest surprise. I know the Bengals put out the the coach speak and the and and I, I do think they feel this way, but I, they are confident in Irv Smith. They are confident in who they have. Um, but you know, there's, there is a bit of a gamble here because you know you have you bring back Drew Sample, probably for an H back, um, you know, a blocking type of role a little bit, but he hasn't been healthy. He hasn't stayed healthy. So there's a gamble there when you don't, you don't bring that in. Wiley, Wiley went top of fifth round, right? To the Titans. Yeah. Is that where he went? Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, maybe that was a guy that they looked at there, but again, you know, as I said to Jason, I just kind of feel like you are looking at potentially a, uh, some players that are, you know, uh, at tight end, you're going to be, well, no, they're going to be, they're going to be guys that are your, 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 fifth receiving option your sixth receiving option and you're talking yeah. about potentially you know a second round pick and you go well maybe that just doesn't make a ton of sense and it's a it's a position zach taylor comes from the rams the rams in in mcveigh never really truly you know highly value had, they had jared uh, gerald everett and others that that were good contributors but you know it wasn't the first round mega tight end the second round guy in the Rams system and i don't know if if zach is readopting that philosophy but I mean, that's two straight drafts where they didn't address tight end when you felt like it was a need. I, I will say this because I feel like it, it's veering towards that, oh, the Bengals just don't care about tight end. And I don't think that's entirely true. Like, they, they still have signed two veterans over the past two years that they felt like they could start just to fill the position that had some upside. Like, they believe that Hayden Hurst would outlive or outperform that deal. I think they expect Irv Smith to outperform that deal should he stay healthy. It's just that, like, they're, 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 they're like they're not going to force it like you said like they, they don't feel like it's so important that they need to get you know they have to get an upgrade at that spot like they, they're fine with just having a competent starter just because the offense can still operate with it if they had the chance to get a Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski it's not like the Bengals would just ignore that and say no we don't give a crap about tight end of course you would adapt your offense if a superstar talent like that was available but again it just has to line up with how the board falls and it just didn't this year it didn't, but they they did grab some other talented players and um, you know some surprises on on the positions they did pick as well as we discussed. We're going to get to a couple of fun little superlatives or little uh, talking points, debating points, whatever you want to call it, about some of these picks in just a second. Want to remind folks that this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, and it is available on your favorite platform, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, iHeartRadio, all the major audio ones, we are on those. Or, of course, if you like the video stuff, you got to give a thumbs up to the Cincy Jungle Facebook page where we stream. You got to give John and or I a follow on the Twitter accounts and the, the show Twitter account as well. And then, of course, you can click, uh, I believe it's underneath John. It might be above him. I, I always get that mixed up. But up, up, uh, yeah, you could, you could click that. It's the show icon. Click that to subscribe. Click the bell to be notified when we go live and when new content is available. And of course, give us a thumbs up if you if you would. That would that would help us out a lot. We've got a lot of live listeners, even though we're kind of in late-ish afternoon, early afternoon my time. So really cool to still see a lot of people uh, hanging out and watching us live. But uh, if you can't catch us live, gotta go, gotta go get it through the platforms. And of course, the other great shows on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network are on the audio side. So uh, go check that out. 
Um, I want to I want to say this before we kind of get into uh, the, the superlative thing that we are going to do. I want to put this back up here because we had Mohamed Sanu on the show uh, in our pre-draft show, which was really cool, really humble, awesome guy. Um, and as, as we expected, but he is obviously doing some stuff here. We have some donations, um, but the, you know, through our super chat, um, a couple donations through here, but you know, we're a lot of, a lot of times we're able to get these cool guests uh, in part because we want to promote what they, what they do. So your support for Mohammed Sanu's develop Africa project would be greatly appreciated. They've got a lofty goal. Go back and listen to the interviews either on the pre pre draft show or the standalone episode that we have with, with an interview for him and um, see how you can donate. Ta- he talks all about what, what it's about, what they're doing out there. So Go check that out. Link is in the live chats there, and we appreciate your support for that. I know we got it through the SB Nation network as well. Um, it was on their the, the home site, and I think maybe the Falcoholic and stuff too, which is pretty cool. So, um, and a big thanks, by the way. I didn't. I, we totally glossed over this. A big thanks to Richard Dalton, a guy who uh, you know known as at Dalton Signature. He's the guy. He created, uh, I guess it would be over here, the logos. He helps us with some of the, the wallpapers, and he helped us with that really cool graphic uh, with Mohammed Sanu on our show. And um, they, they, his his representatives were so impressed with with that work that uh, they wanted to take that and use that on some of their promotional material. Of course, with his permission. I didn't just say yes without his permission. So um, thank you, at Dalton Signature. Go check it out. He does awesome graphic design work, freelance and uh, otherwise. So um, we, we appreciate you, as always. And he's, he's a good buddy too he's a good friend uh met him in seattle a handful of years ago and a really really good guy all right so that being said john are we uh, I, I don't know if i'm gonna surprise you with some of these or not but let's let's go with this one and you can see on the banner here rookie with the best long-term potential it doesn't even have to be you know hey gonna gonna light the world on fire right away but the rookie with the best long-term potential on this team uh, in this class who do you have hmm I think you have to you have to combine age, you have to combine athleticism, collegiate production, all of it, and also like you know how impactful they're going to be on the team. I think I'm going with DJ Turner, and I'm going with him over maybe Miles Murphy because I think that Turner was a clear prospect in terms of pass production, terms of ability. Obviously, the athleticism is there, right? Like he, like you talk, you mentioned Chris Henry as a comparison for Yoshivas, like DJ Turner, like can probably beat like Chris Henry in a race, right? If, if like he's that fast. He's he's 426, but he's just a natural mover at 426. I think like like one of the complaints of John Ross is that like he was so fast, he was almost like too fast for his body. Like DJ Turner is a controlled 426. He just moves differently compared fluid. to other group backs and he's so fluid. He didn't do any of the flexibility testing, but if he did, he would have knocked it out of the park. The fact that he was there at 60 is honestly surprising. The only downside with him, he's got he's got short arms, right? So he he's not going to He's not going to jam DK Metcalf at the line, and no, nor would anyone expect him to. But he's good in both man and zone. Like he's sticky in coverage, but he also breaks down on those routes when he's in off coverage too. So he can do pretty much anything. He's probably a better cornerback prospect than Cam Taylor Britt was last year, and he's going to start within the next year because they're probably not going to bring back Chidabe Wuzier. And he was really good in college. I, I think the potential here is like you're looking at a high upside starter with Pro Bowl potential. I am with you. Uh, and we did not prep this before the show. I just, you know, it's weird. I, I hate to kind of be, you know, oh, I just wholeheartedly agree. That was the guy that I was thinking of, quite honestly. Yeah. 
And I just feel like, you know, the Bengals have have done well with high pick corners, second round corners, Cam Taylor. And now you've got two highly athletic guys that are your foreseeable, you know, your starters for the foreseeable future in Cam Taylor Britt and uh, DJ Turner. You know, obviously a, a Wuzier high athletic profile too, and a guy that that has been really, really good. The, the injury last year was just so unfortunate. But um, so I, there's some long term questions there with Wuzier. But man, those two, I think the future is really bright. And what's what's nice is he'll get he'll get on the field early, but it's not necessarily. It, it may not be a situation like you said, like a emergency. You know, oh man, we got to get Eli Apple. Let's throw him to the fire. It may not have to be that kind of situation, which is nice as well. But a guy, I think, like you said, fluid. Um, you know, th- there's some production there. It, it's not you know eye popping amount of interceptions. And I know you know we got obsessed with some of the first round corners, and then Joey Porter Jr. where he was going to go. DJ Turner was a little bit lost in the shuffle, and then all of a sudden you go, oh yeah, that guy's there right now. What? what how is that possible? So that's a guy I feel long term has a lot of potential. For this team and then you know i'll, I'll kind of say just to go a little bit of a pivot i i like the long-term potential of of charlie jones i know the athleticism doesn't doesn't scream it but just a dude who plays football um you know it's it he's got you know what i mean like just uh, you know he just it's it's a odd blanket he's surely just a, a, a he's surely a football well, he's a, player. No, i mean he just played you know what i mean you look at yeah. you look at what he does you love watch the tape and it's just like man he takes hits he gets up he'll make the tough catches it's it's not it's not necessarily the absolute like sexiest you know a jamar chase type of profile or tape but he just does a lot of things really well and then you get the special teams value that's just a guy when you and especially when you pair him with a quarterback like joe burrow i think he he becomes a guy that contributes pretty quickly but i I think long term i think in this system with this quarterback i think i'm pretty excited about what what could come from him yes like Charlie Jones, he's old. I get it. He didn't produce until his last season. But I think when you're talking about outliers from a data perspective, you have to factor in where they land, where they're playing in the NFL, who they're paired up with. And he couldn't have landed in a perf- more perfect situation to maximize whatever potential that he has left. He's, he already comes in as a pretty refined receiver. He's not going to drop many passes. He's going to get open. He's going to find the soft spots of coverage. And the best part of this pick, Anthony, just real quick before we move on, like he's a slot receiver probably in the NFL, and that's, t- that's totally fine. He was drafted to replace Tyler Boyd eventually. But he gives you a verticality aspect to his game that Tyler Boyd just doesn't have and now you have three receivers potentially long term that you can line up in the slot or the outside and they put stress on the on the cornerbacks they put stress on coverages in ways that unfortunately at this point in his career Tyler Boyd just can't and that's that's why I kind of said I like the the Yoshivis pick a lot because they just said screw it we're doubling down and we're, we're adding more weapons right I mean at yeah. that point they you could have said why you know why do they need another wide receiver well it's like dude I mean they they want to take it two teams this year and oh by the way when you look at the Bengals last two postseason runs while they've been exceptional and they've won a lot of tough games they have struggled to put up points they have struggled Mm -hmm. to put up points and they need to have some more offensive firepower Um, and it sounds weird to say that with the, the great receivers they do already have but adding to that cupboard just really really exciting so we'll go here then what about short term who's the rookie you feel has the biggest short term yield for the Bengals, meaning they contribute right away, be it a special teamer, be it offense, defense. Who do you think? So I think the the obvious answer is Chase Brown, and that might be where you're going as well. So I'll just I'll briefly just talk. Obviously, he's going to get at least like 120 touches this year. Fumbling is an issue with him right now, and I've watched some right. of his of his tape before we before we uh, recorded in the past couple of days, and and most of it I think is just like 
almost a lack of awareness thing. That's also what his shortcomings are in pass protection. So I don't know what his role in specific is going to be outside of just, you know, taking the lid off of Joe Mixon. But, like, the vision's there. The footwork's there. Like, he's so comfortable running out of shotgun. He just allows his blocks to develop. And he's a much higher-end up, higher end athlete in terms of just long speed and, and yeah. short area burst than Mixon. And he just doesn't really go down on first contact, which I guarantee you is something the Bengals are looking for considering yeah. what they've seen from Joe Mixon. But just, I, I know you're going to talk about Chase Brown. Miles Murphy, I think, is going to have a bigger short-term yield than people expect just because, again, I think he's like he's, he's got a great opportunity this summer because Joseph Asai is recovering from a torn labrum. He's going to get reps in minicamp. He's going to get reps in the beginning part of training camp. And he needs all those reps just to be like, like, okay, Marion Hobby, like, I need additional pass rushing moves besides this long arm bull rush. Like, I have the power, but I need to be able to string together these moves if I'm going to be a high end pass rusher in the NFL. And he's going to get those chances early and often in the preseason. And I think he's going to be your third or fourth edge. And that's going to be important in some of these games against some of the best quarterbacks. So, yeah, I mean, I, I there, there are a lot of different uh, players you can, you can talk about here. I don't disagree with either of the names you mentioned. I, I mean, low hanging fruit is chase Brown. I think not only because there are, even though the Bengals do seem pretty committed to Joe Mixon, at least for this year, um, you know, there still are some questions out there, you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, and, and this is a guy too, that even if, you know, it is Mixon as, as the lead back, this is a guy that could spell him a lot. I do want to see, you know, I want to, I think there was some improvement in the past catching area. I think he had a, uh, you know, collegiate career high in receptions last year, but it was still about 27, I want to say, um, just off the top of my head. So, you know, a, a guy that I think, you know, if, if he is going to be a third down back, if he is going to be a complimentary back, I think, you know, you really want to make sure that he can, he can do things in the passing game. And then, you know, he has even said, you know, I want to work on pass blocking as well, but a lot of things to like there's speed, there's toughness, elusiveness, that sort of thing. So yeah, that's the low hanging fruit. But I will say, you know, interestingly enough, I know you could you could also go with Robbins and say, well, the punter, of course, because he may come in there and, and supplant Chrisman. We'll see what happens with that battle. But using the word battle, Jordan Battle, I I I know the Bengals have answers at safety, starting safety, that sort of thing. I just feel that this kid's going to be in there, even if it's on a rotational basis, even if it's on a you know a, a couple of downs per defensive series or a down per defensive series basis i think he's going to be out there and i think he i think they're going to value what what he does and i think he's a good piece in this division for all of the you know when you look at how baltimore and the schemes that they run and now that lamar jackson is back in the fold there you know having guys that have excellent play recognition having guys that can dissect plays even though the the athleticism may or may not be as high as other players that that iq that recognition goes a long way particularly in some of the, you know, Kenny Pickett, the athleticism, he can move around a lot. And you're going to need not only a guy that can support in the run, but a guy that can dissect a play, know when a quarterback is is trying to run. And I think, you know, at times he's going to come in as a rookie, maybe not start, but I think, you know, he's a third down player maybe at first and and kind of grow from there. So that's a guy kind of honorable mention, I think is going to get on the field and do some things early for this defense. If nothing else, Darren Simmons specifically said, like, he put a red star next to him after meeting with him before the draft so you know like special teams was not a strong suit for the Bengals last year and I think I think Simmons kind of took that personally with drafting a punter and drafting guys like Jordan Battle who I know are going to play like hundreds of steps on special teams this year I'm sure Charlie Jones is going to make an impact as a punt returner so yeah the, like a lot of these guys they may not pl- they may not start on offense or defense but they're absolutely going to be significant contributors on special teams and make it a better unit overall 
And and I, I we'll we'll move on uh, with with the next one here. But I mean, again, you got you got it. You can tell the respect and the pull that Darren Simmons has in the Bengals organization and in the the, the draft war room. Because number number one, when you're drafting a punter, um, but number two, when you are getting guys that also where you go, and this is also indicative of having a deep roster, but when you're getting guys where you go, Hey, special teams roll immediately, or, you know, this is a guy who does some things on offense and can give you special. I mean, he, he gets his way a lot. And for, for a good reason, he's one of the most well-respected coaches in the league, special teams coaches in the league. So that being said, let's move on here. We're going to go to some of the guys who did not get drafted in the Bengals UDFA class. Um, A couple of really intriguing names here. Who's, who are, you know, one or two of your favorites that you think might could could sneak onto the roster and or um, you know d- down the road maybe be a guy where you go, hey, that good player, he was an undrafted guy. Yeah, I, I think th- there's not a ton here. Like, I feel like some other teams, I think, did a little bit of a better job at accumulating a UDFA class. I think Jackson Kirkland stands out the most just because Our he's probably cover boy, get yeah. Yeah, he was probably going to get drafted last year had he not gone back because of an injury, and he had a draftable grade for multiple outlets this year, and he still went undrafted. I mean, part of that's just being 24 years old, 25 years old, whatever. I, I think both team backs, Jacob Saylors and Calvin Tyler Jr., have a lot of promise, and just because I, I we've talked about this before, I don't know what Chris Evans is standing in the running back rumor is, but he's pretty clearly running back four right now, and I think I believe it was Saylors who ended up getting some type of a, of a confirmed signing bonus. So that's not insignificant for a UDFA, especially because they could just keep four running backs, and maybe Sailors is the one that beats out Chris Evans, but he looked really good at Eastern Tennessee State. Shedrick Jackson's got the blinds. It's Bo Jackson's nephew, and he's yeah. pretty much yep. just as fast, even though he, if he wasn't as productive at Auburn. But we actually interviewed him on uh, DNA Sports. I, I heard so. that, yeah. Yeah, so That's if you awesome. want to check out a very, very weird interview, I should say, uh, definitely check that out after this. But yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm sure ha- it wasn't weird because of you, right? It was uh, your, maybe your other co-host. Is that why? I, I, I could have, <laughs> I could have stepped in to make it less weird, but you know, I'm a little paralyzed sometimes in there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Calvin Tyler, or excuse me, um, both Calvin Tyler and Jacob Sailors are going to make some camp. I would say. Okay, so I, I, I Jack, uh, Jackson Kirkland to me is a guy I think that you know could could easily be a player that could, you know, be a backup uh, swing type of player on the offensive line. I, I really like that pick again, Pac-12 boy. That's, that's, that's my jam, but um, I'm going to, you know, not to pat myself on the back here, but I am going to put something up here because I wrote up on this kid and admittedly, I did not know a ton about him. Um, and so when this news came my way, this was a guy where I was like, you know, I, I feel like he is a guy that you could develop um, he's got, uh, there's some, there's some questions on, you know, I guess motor, um, you know, why, why certain plays are absolutely explosive. And then other, other times he disappears. Of course, he's a small school guy, but John, I mean, look at this man uh, as uh, kind of an interior defensive lineman here, 37 and a half sacks, um, at, at Tennessee Chattanooga. Um, he's six, three, 300, uh, per research. And, and I mean, he's older. That's another thing that, you know, uh, teams maybe didn't, like a lot but man you can see here quote a lot of teams have questions about my motor and why some of my reps are as good as other reps sometimes i look like i can be an all pro and i look like why are they even looking at me as, as a prospect so uh, there are some there are some questions here but i think you know the Bengals didn't necessarily i mean maybe murphy can kick inside here and there 
to be, you know, the, the three tech or something like that on, on certain passing situations, if you wanted, wanted him to do that, but the, the Bengals didn't get, you know, a Kalijah Cansey type, a Jalen Redmond type in this year's draft. And maybe this is a guy that can go in there and do something for him. And he's, I actually, yeah, I think Maxwell, just because you don't have a ton of depth there, he, I think he's got a good chance of making some. Did I even say his like, name? I think, did I say his name even? I think I just put up the article and started talking about him. Devonsha Maxwell, I believe is how, Thank you. Okay. Is how you Thank you. It. I but guess yeah, I didn't. Like, yeah. <laughs> that production definitely stands out. And the fact that there's not a lot of depth there. I just want to give a quick shout out though. There's been Dane Sonsenbachers in the past. There's been Jake Kumaros in the past. I think this guy that they're bringing in for a try. He's not an official UDFA signing, but Mac Hippenhammer has one of the greatest names oh, yeah, I've ever name. heard out of any wide receiver. And it's, it's of course, right? When you have a legacy of the Sonsenbachers and the and the touchdown Jesuses, Mac Hippenhammer, watch out for his name alone. Oh, yeah, Hippenhammer. That would uh, man. That that's you know you know old Jay Gruden would have had a field day with that one too. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, um, we'll, we'll start closing up here. Uh, any other superlatives you want to you wanna lob out there, John, or any other final thoughts on the draft class as we start closing up shop here? Yeah, I, I, think, I, think we're, I think I'm a little tapped down on the superlatives, but, yeah, it was the third consecutive year where you had three straight defensive picks off the bat, and it's more of a reflection of where this is going, right? We've talked about this team is trying – everything in its power to build around Burrow, Higgins, and Chase from a financial standpoint, from a futuristic depth standpoint. Like, they're just loading this defense up to be prepared for what is to come, and they're doing it the right way. And then when they needed to address offensive skill positions, they did exactly that with not only just guys that are solid players, high upside athletes who can contribute right away for the most, or at least two of them. And I think Chase Brown, Charlie Jones, they're really good players off the right off the bat solve an issue that you had in the AFC championship game when you need your auxiliary options to get open to create separation when defenses are keying in on some of your stars if, if a Tyler Boyd happens to go down again you have more speed you have more explosion coming out of the backfield coming out of the lot to help out this offense put up points when it matters most so they, they accomplish I think both long-term and short-term options here I agree, and there's some there's some power tools being worked on. Hope I don't, hope it's not too loud here, but uh, we'll start we'll start closing up here. I, I really like what the Bengals did in it. It's not you know initially when you look at the class, you go well you know maybe there was some things, some questions, and some some picks where you go well how does that make sense right now? But then as you kind of take a step back and you see the logic with some of the things, so that's where I felt you know was kind of some of the best the best parts of this draft. Yeah, and again it. It matches up with where the board probably was for the most part. There, there wasn't any obvious reaches. There wasn't any obvious steals either, except if you want to classify battle. I think the consensus had him as like an early third, you know, late second. But still, that's pretty good value at the end of the third. There's no picks that just screams here that says, oh, they probably should have taken that one back or they probably should have targeted someone else. They all made sense from a certain point of view. And I think that's why like the home runs here, like Miles, I didn't, I didn't think Miles Murphy was that big of a steal at the end of the first. That's probably where he should have gone. But yeah, like all these picks align with where these guys were ranked on the consensus board. And I think no home runs, no obvious reaches, like a solid B, B plus that I think will yield positive results. A handful of starters, handful of role players. Agreed. Well, let's drop the mic and get out of here. Um, what do you got for us, Sean? Uh, shout out uh, Sauce Gardner for just completely getting in with Jessica Al like that. Just pretend that you don't know her and therefore you got the end. So kudos, my, my fellow Bearcat. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like that. Uh, I just want to say, um, first of all, thanks for all the, the views and everything um, this past weekend. And, um, you know, again, I put I put Mohammed Sanu's charity uh, linked in the live chats there. And so if you go back and watch the videos on Facebook or YouTube, please go and click that link there. Um, additionally, I did hear from some representatives of Orlando Brown Jr. He is going to be doing, um, when we had him on, if you remember, he was going to maybe identify a charity that he's working with. He's doing an event on June 10th, and I'm going to you know work with uh, some of their some things there to see, you know, uh, maybe we get him back on or how we can support what he's doing there or both. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there, but uh, keep your eyes and ears out, whether it's through us or Orlando Brown himself, um, you know, help out his charity as well. And then of course, John, um, you know, the, the other thing, as I mentioned, um, you know, we had some help from our, our buddy, uh, Richard Dalton on some of the graphics and everything. So go give him a follow at Dalton signature and, um, you know, if you need some graphic design work done, he does awesome stuff, be it bangles or sports, non-sports, all kinds of different stuff. So check it out. Um, that's going to do it for us, my friend. Uh, b- good show, busy show. And we'll be back. I don't know. Um, maybe tomorrow. Maybe not. I don't know. Early next week. I don't know. Do some news, some listener questions. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll let you all know. But we appreciate all of we're We're just we're still recovering from the draft and the, and the work that was there. Fun work but work nonetheless. But regardless, John, thank you, sir. Thank you for dealing with a lot of the ambient noise going on in my, in my house here, but uh, I appreciate you, my friend. We'll see you guys when we see you. All right.